My brother and my uncle have disgraced the Fire Lord and brought shame on all of us. You may have mixed feelings about attacking members of the royal family, I understand. But I assure you, if you hesitate, I will not hesitate to bring you down. Dismissed. Princess, I'm afraid the tides will not allow us to bring the ship into port before nightfall. I'm sorry, Captain, but I do not know much about the tides. Can you explain something to me? Of course, Your Highness. Do the tides command this ship? Uh, I'm afraid I don't understand. You said the tides would not allow us to bring the ship in. Do the tides command this ship? No, Princess. And if I were to have you thrown overboard, would the tides think twice about smashing you against the rocky shore? No, Princess. Well then, maybe you should worry less about the Tides, who've already made up their mind about killing you, and worry more about me, who's still mulling it over. I'll pull us in. Welcome back to the Bitter Jurors podcast. We are a queer Avatar The Last Airbender superfan podcast. Uh, I am Sam Stanish, and we are here today to talk about the book two premiere, The Avatar State. Uh, with me, as always, is the man I blame the failure of the Siege of the North on, Derek Reining. Damn it. <laughs> I didn't know that. What's 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 the beef? I, I'm sad you've never brought this to me and been upfront about it. Well, I I blame it on you in a good way because I didn't want the siege to work. So I, oh. I'm, I'm placing the, blame, the positive blame on your feet. Interesting. Okay. Because I, I can... Yeah. And at the same time, working on the image of the word blame, I feel like too many people immediately associate it negatively when I I think it's it's like showing the credit where it's due. Uh, it's just wow. sort of making people aware of who did what. Well, blame you for such a good intro. <laughs> yeah, this was this long drawn out bad joke is really working for me um <laughs> and someone who knows and has seen every single one of my long and drawn out bad jokes is here guesting with us today uh wonderful comedian great friend of mine uh avatar fan sarah gar hi all of it is true sam makes great content and as does Derek, but I've known him. We now go way back, maybe about five minutes ago. We're dear oh, friends. I know. I love it. Remember when I said I loved your phone case? <gasps> oh, my God. That was so fun. It was so like, sweet. And yeah. That's like life-defining stuff. Yeah. And remember when I said I don't listen to the Survivor podcast, but I love the Avatar one? Mm, I do. Like it was yesterday. But you know what? Which but is weird everyone should today. listen to both. <laughs> <laughs> everyone should listen to both. <laughs> But yeah, for one. sure. And you're <laughs> telling them to do as you say, not as you do. Oh, very much so. Yeah, I live my life in hypocrisy. Um, oh, mm -hmm. of course. Sarah, why don't you? Why don't we start off? How did you first start watching Avatar? Are you a recent first-time caller, long-time listener, uh, first-time caller, <laughs> recent listener? What, what's your backstory with our Ooh. wonderful show? I'm a. Uh, I'd say a fresh caller, but a long time follower. So I watched it growing up and I just very distinctly remember watching the season finale of book three, maybe like 80 times, but never watching it the whole way through. Because as a kid, I didn't quite understand the continuity of series or, you know, seasons. So I just watched it if it was on. And then 
when it came to Netflix, as with maybe like the rest of the millennial generation, I rewatched it. And then I was like, oh, oh, this is like one of the best shows. And it, I have many a separate group texts with friends discussing it, sending memes. Um, I'm in the middle of Korra, but uh, yes, I'm ready to like go back and rewatch Avatar as soon as I finish Korra and just continue this beautiful rotation of the Avatar universe. Yeah, I'm so glad it's on Netflix now. And like, and I'm glad that it took this time. Like, I feel like this time it was a real impact on like our generation because I was on Netflix like five years ago, I remember. And just like, I, I mean, oh. it was just, it was just there and people were, yeah. it didn't really have the impact that time, but I'm so glad that it's back in the cultural conversation. Mm -hmm. and, I had no idea it was on five years ago. Mm -hmm. <laughs> See, case in point. Um, yeah, not just our generation. I feel like uh, this Netflix thing has like brought in Gen Z a lot, as far as I can tell, at least on Twitter. Um, for all that means, for good and for bad. I think it can only help to have the have the teens on our side uh, for the uh, ongoing oh, yeah. longevity of the Avatar franchise. <laughs> Very true. Plus, now we nowadays we get people running around with uh, usernames like Antifa Saka and stuff, which is only good. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> not, Is that you? Uh, not no, no. Is that you? <laughs> I wish I had come up with that. No, it's not related, I'm sure, to Antifa Judy, who is a um, a frequent question giver. <laughs> we we love our we love our bitter Judy's. I mean oh, we yeah, I mean we, we do prefer our um you know, we do love an Antifa bitter Judy more than most. Yeah, was it Antifa Zhang Zhang? <laughs> that was yeah. it. I was mixing sorry bitter Judy and Antifa Zhang Zhang. <laughs> <laughs> My two great, wonderful friends. I did not mean to mix up your names. Well, I guess they're not that good of friends. Oh. <laughs> Damn. There, okay. There are, you know, we've gotten some great submissions from great people in our mm -hmm. mailbox. Um, and some people have taken up their own monikers. I hope that there aren't people who hear a name on one episode of the podcast and then use that episode or use that name to submit to the next one like i hope everyone is keeping their <laughs> names in line because i feel like that could get bad quickly mm. you don't like the idea of like a legacy like a style like uh who's a superhero who does that like uh like a Mrs. Marvel. I would yeah. I would hate for this to be a Kamala Khan situation because I would have no way of knowing, but I just see the text on the screen. Mm. Um, Sarah, tell us about how was how was this episode when you were rewatching it? I I really loved the episode um, for what I know that it's like it, it is the, it is a perfect premiere episode and it really yes put together all the pieces for where the season goes. Yeah, I feel like because the last season just kind of, it feels like a very complete season that then it's like, okay, where are we going to go now? Katara is, they're like, yeah, okay, I guess we can officially call you a waterbending master. And I love how they're sending them off in the beginning. It's like the perfect dry queen read. They go like, Katara, here is the amulet with the water. Ang, here are the sacred scrolls. Sokka, take care, son. <laughs> like just you set it up you know that Katara she's gonna do something with this amulet it's like foreshadowing and he's gonna you know keep the mastering and Sokka shall continue to try hard mm -hmm. yeah, just, yeah like, you, it lays it right there for you 
You'd think mm-hmm. he would get some kind of like spear or I don't know, like Imagine. you know, something. Um, in this like Galadriel scene, uh, where they're just like receiving a bunch of different items. I I mean, I love this kind of scene where our heroes are like just getting their new things. They get new bequeathed things. upon. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, I also just as excited when Amazon packages show up as I am in quarantine when they get their things. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I love this episode because it introduces us to short sleeve Katara and Sokka uh, bearing their bearing their biceps and forearms uh, for the first time that I can remember. Um, I just I just remember because like I I I notice now that the costumes change like in season one a bit like throughout the episodes, but this is the first time I realized that like this cartoon was like gonna change what the models of the characters looked like, and like they're gonna like look different, which was really cool for me. For sure, yeah. It's like um, introducing the idea of like each of these books corresponds to a different season, um, and so yeah. As a kid, you're so used to like Scooby Doo or whatever, where it's like everyone just has the outfit that they wear forever. Um, but mm-hmm. the show, they're like, no, we're giving you something new and different and equally fashionable. Yeah, it's like as they evolve, their clothes evolve. That's <gasps> true. <laughs> I, you know, it's one of the few fa- one of the few cartoons that does mess with fashions. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's true, and we appreciate it because it just feels more real in that way. Um, yeah, we love a good look. Yeah, Sokka can't be like not having his arms out as they traverse the springtime in the Earth Kingdom. <laughs> It's he needs true. sun's out, guns out. Uh, yeah. He needs to get some tan on them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Plus it like uh, also kind of lets us know a little more about like air nomad culture where it's like their clothing clearly is just like Aang's outfit never really changes. Um, and it's like, well, either they don't have access to other air nomad outfits, which I think is also a thing. But it's also like, I don't think we ever see an air nomad really not wearing this kind of outfit. Um, uh, so it must be very breezy. Uh, but also keep the heat in when it needs to. Yeah. I, I've i always felt like he was, like, manipulating the air around him to be, like, The okay. perfect temperature. A little heater. Yeah. yeah like, to, like quote, to be a sensible 74 at mm. all times. In quarantine, I do just try to channel the inner air nomad. Everything is just free flowing, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, so uh, to go, I guess, into another detail that I liked about this opening scene, I really love that Aang's dream is all from, like, outside of his body. And he even, like, addresses it in that way when he's talking about it to Katar. He's like, yeah, I was watching myself, um, which I think one could, like, if you really want to read into it, you could start to think, oh, when you're in the Avatar state, or it's like, is he completely out of control of his body? Or is it like purely psychological where he just feels like he has no control? Yeah, I feel like, I, w- I mean, I think it's a little bit of both because he does have no control at this time. And like, uh, like he, we see flashbacks in this episode of past Avatars who clearly have like command over the Avatar state. And so... Mm-hmm. Like he, he currently can't control himself while he's like that, but like, and that's probably only gonna get worse now that he has like, Roku has like shown him that it's possible to control it. Now he's like seeing himself in these past moments where like he caused so much destruction, which goes against like his moral character. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it 
it really shows his like disconnect. He's kind of like spirit realm Aang when he's at like the Avatar state is very like embodied his human form in a way that is expanded, and that really shows that like distinct separation um, as he learns, you know, which could you know mean something down the line. Um, and he, ooh, what was I gonna say? Um, don't worry, move on. I forget what I was gonna say. <laughs> Avatar state stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe uh, like that makes me think of like, yeah, there's this growing almost divide between Aang as a, like a kid or a person versus Aang as the Avatar. And so this is sort of a good demonstration of the fact that um, the two cannot always coincide as far as we know. Um, and definitely as far as Aang knows, he seems to think of them as very separate things. It's like when he's the Avatar, he can't be just a little kid anymore. I remember what I was going to say is yeah. that like, it, this is also the episode you really see uh, the pressure from the externally saying like, okay, we need to be the fire Lord. We're going to do this. It's aggressive. And Aang is really like, mm, like really doesn't want anything to do with that. Even though it, it's, it's kind of like the first major moment. I feel like he's grappling with like, you know, I have all this power and I can do this. But at the same time, like I absolutely don't want to do it, even though I can, because it's bad as it right. stands quote unquote mm -hmm. yeah it's interesting because it like it almost is like addressing probably a concern that the audience would have where it's like if they have the quote unquote like nuclear option which is mm -hmm. the avatar state it's like why wouldn't they just do that instantly and so i think this show is doing a good job of showing like one he really doesn't have control over it and two there's this like huge downside to it which is like roku says later in the episode if you die in the avatar state like it's over so it they do a good job of like showing why he can't just be doing this huge glowy thingy every episode to solve the problem yeah katara was really concerned with doing war the right way <laughs> <laughs> oh my god she's like no yeah mm -hmm. yeah definitely peak like overly like motherly katara even though she is definitely like in the right but it's like she's in the right in that it's almost like a weird like she's saying these things because she like read the show notes or something where it's like no we have to do x y and z yeah. to succeed and not like <laughs> no it's this because that's how it has to be yeah she's like no we still have to master the other elements <laughs> we have 40 <laughs> more other seasons you have 40 more episodes ang we can't just skip right to the end yeah, it yeah. which I, I mean it's i mean like we i mean yeah they need to explain like you said every episode or like they need to show the audience why they can't just like have ang glow through the fire nation navy and get to the capital city uh and like you said this is an episode that like explains to us why they can't just do that which i feel like is an issue like certain shows have where like their characters just get too powerful and so they need to continuously like incapacitate someone just like to make the plot work because they're <laughs> otherwise the audience is like why isn't this person just handling everything like it, it mm -hmm. or it's like yeah. an anime problem where it's they just introduce a stronger and stronger person every time uh, yeah. to combat it which is tough in this show because the conflict is all about one enemy the fire lord so mm -hmm. like they can't just like keep introducing new else. generals, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, for sure. Um, right, but I guess now on to the most important part of the episode, which is Iroh getting massaged by two hunks dressed all in pink. 
hello. Yeah. <laughs> we love to see it. I'm, I feel like this is like a pretty clear message from the showrunners. Like, yep, Iroh is a late in life gay. Uh, it, that's just the way it is. <laughs> he went from creepy perv in one episode to now he is a, a king amongst men. There, there's a really, I mean, there's a really great Iroh quote that is used on TikTok. I mean, to talk about Gen Z, you got to bring up TikTok, but they constantly <laughs> I'm seeing videos and I don't know if the, how much of this is the algorithm pinning me as a Avatar The Last Airbender fan and like how much it's used on the whole. But I see a lot of videos of people using like the clip of thanks for the tea. It was delicious. Uh, and like that, he just is like, I fully support gay Iroh and hope that he uh, is happy now that he's able to live in his truth. Me too. Mm -hmm. I'm so sad, though, for the, the best for him. We do, for sure. I mean, the gay masseuses clearly want the best because at the end, they <laughs> give a very audible gasp when uh, they're presented with that wanted poster of Iroh and Zuko. It's like, I'm glad the gay couple who was housing Iroh and Zuko are concerned for their safety. And I love the, I mean, isn't, isn't Zuko in like a pink outfit too in that scene where he's oh, like yeah. sitting against mm -hmm. the side of the wall and we find mm -hmm. out that that day has been three years of Zuko mm -hmm. and Iroh out on their destiny road trip. Yeah, and what's hotter than a man confident in his own sexuality? I mean, Zuko is, uh, as I've kind of alluded to Sam, I... Huge, huge, huge Zuko fan over here. Definitely, nice. you know, when you watch it as a kid, you're like, he sucks. And now I'm watching it as an adult and I'm like, oh, he's great. <laughs> as you um, fan yourself with your notes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's just a little warm. And this is, I mean, this is sort of the episode where like you would begin to get that sort of vibe. Like, cause all through season one, even like through mm -hmm. the finale, we are seeing him as an operative I of the Fire the Nation. Avatar. Yeah, and like that's <laughs> and that's still his like objective, but he's yeah. like cut off from his even more cut off from his familial resources than ever because he saw his sister for the first time and she tried to take in three years and she tried to take them captive. Mm -hmm. he, and and you you start to realize like his psychology of like his family like all of them are master manipulators like when his sister comes in and she's what does she say she's just like come home home is where you belong using all this like language that will just make him think like oh, that's everything i've ever wanted to hear in three years and she's telling me right now Mm -hmm. yeah it's i think to me like the saddest line in this whole episode is from iroh and it's in our family things are not always what they seem like that to me was like heart wrenching just because it was like <sighs> speaks to so much of like wow what a horrible fucked up family and like how sad for zuko and i mean iroh to an extent but it's like clearly everything i mean azula even uh like scratches Zuko's face and like my note to that was like wow this family just loves scarring Zuko specifically like they just really like physically and mentally they love to scar him and it's like damn that sucks for him a lot yeah and then it's they, go ahead no you go oh I was gonna say they just fight like typical siblings too in a way like they just know exactly what to say to hurt the other one like jab them the most of like 
you know. I mean, oh, yeah, well, Azula instantly calls him yeah, Zuzu, yeah, yeah. which he hates. Yeah. <laughs> That's the first thing she says to him. Yeah. Yeah. It's also just like thinking of he says that he hasn't been home in three years, so I assume, and I think it's true, like he has not seen Azula in three years, and I think Azula right now is like fourteen years old, maybe fifteen, and it's just like thinking of because like he he knows that she's, I mean they have their history that we haven't like seen yet on the show, but like he's aware of who she is, but still it's like he just it's so it's he, they're. It's, I mean, it's, 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 she's scarring him physically and you said emotionally too. And it's so awful because she's like, he wants to believe so badly that his dad could regret causing him so much pain. Um, and then the instant he's about to board the, the boat at the end of the episode, like he gets like totally slapped Broke in the me. face. Awful. So awful. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, I would say that's like the theme of this episode, or at least it's a theme for Zuko and Aang, where it's like we see in this episode how easily manipulated or I, I don't know, that makes them sound like they're like stupid or they did something wrong in this episode. I guess maybe the word I'm looking for is like they are willing to hear what they want to hear or I don't know. Yeah, he's been away for three years. Want to hear right? That. Like for Zuko, it's like the, he is easily tricked, tricked by Azula because he's hearing what he wants to hear from her in that moment. And Aang is easily quote unquote tricked into like doing all this crazy shit because um, the General Fong pra like preys on Aang's guilt, which is like an established yeah. thing that Aang has been dealing with for all of Book One. Um, and so yeah, I just love that parallel between the two, where it's like we see them be manipulated by people in their lives um, to do things that they know better or like on a gut level, they probably know they shouldn't be doing, but like they just can't help themselves. It's just who they are as people. Yeah. yeah and I think this is, oh, I think this is also general Fong also plays on Ang's like it's his anxiety over the like huge, like, very tiny amount of time he has to master all the elements and all but also like i feel like we have seen ang be um resistant to like working hard and trying he maybe tries to figure out like the easiest option and he like he, he i would be so much easier to just like be in avatar state and like go kill the fire lord rather than go through the work of mastering three more elements mm-hmm yeah, not, yeah. What were you going to say, Sarah? Oh, I was going to say, going back to your parallel, I like that of um, Zuko with his thing, Aang with his thing, but it's like the good guy, Aang, is, has, is like being pressured into doing something quote unquote bad. Whereas like Zuko, who is the, you know, sort of bad guy right now, is being pressured to like kind of leave in a way. Yeah, like give up the like chase for Aang. In a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, that's just like a running theme, I think, for these characters um, is that we see Aang a lot of times, like you said, being pressured or being put in situations where he has to be like this really powerful, like physically powerful person. And Zuko is being put in uncomfortable positions where he has to be the uh, better person or take the high road or whatever it is. Like, yeah, and that's just it speaks to how masterfully written the show is in that they make Zuko feel like a hero to us um, in that way. And by like essentially putting him on his own hero's journey, even though he's like on paper, the villain. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just amazing. <laughs> it's almost like strength comes from many different places, whether it's emotional or physical. 
Oh yeah, mm. for sure. <laughs> yeah, and there's I mean, strength for, and vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's like Aang is already at that point. Like that's his baseline. Is like he doesn't see the need for violence, and so he has to. His struggle is dealing with a world that wants him to use violence in a lot of ways to solve all of their problems. Um, whereas Zuko is used to trying to use violence to get his way, and now has to learn to not do that and be a good person. It's great. I'm standing. Um, and it's, <laughs> it's hard for Zuko to not use violence when we, I mean, I feel like I, I accidentally blew past this, but like we're introduced to the character of Azula for the first time. We've seen her twice before in the series, but she's never really spoken. But like, this is a perfect introduction of a new character for me. Like she's brought out on like, she's like, she's, what is that even called? A, 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 she's carried uh, out Palantine. by- Yeah, Palantine. She's, she's got the curtain. She's sitting so amazingly. She's got like legions of supporters. She can she can lightning bend, which I don't even know if is something oh. we've seen before no, in the show. No, this is the first time I think we've seen it. And yeah, we've she, only seen. I wrote that Ira, down. <laughs> Ira redirect lightning, and that's it. We haven't seen anyone True. generate it before. Her fire yeah, I, is blue. It's like what did what did that mean? <laughs> it's like it, and, and, and like in her evil. first her first scene is talking about like making the the do the do the tides command the ship like dialogue <gasps> is like an incredible introduction to her uh, and it's like I've never forgotten that like conversation from when I first saw it. Mm hmm. For sure. I mean, I feel like, like you said, this is a great premiere episode. Um, and in a lot of ways, it almost functions as, as like another pilot for the show in that it like really reinforces and reintroduces like the motivations for all the characters in this episode. Like Zuko gives a full on almost like Disney princess, like I want speech, like just laying out for the audience. Like this is what I want. Um, and then we see... It's very that. Um, and yeah, we just get a great demonstration of like, this is Katara. She's more of the level-headed one, the pragmatist. Uh, Sokka's goofy. He plays with the monkey a lot. <laughs> um, but he's still, uh, like, is still, like, they, it's not, the, but because we get, I no, agree, I, like, they yeah. set up all yeah. the characters so well, like, everyone of the main cast, uh, and I think it's perfectly set, like, cause, like, as an omniscient viewer, like, knowing where the season goes, like, I, like, I see things in this episode where it's, like, this is set up from episode one in order to be brought back in like the finale of the season and it's just very exciting yeah um and i didn't mean to downplay Sokka. i think Sokka has like some really great moments. like he's such a great friend in this episode mm -hmm. like there's that point where ang's like um like Sokka is like pretty much on general fong's side in general he's like yeah, this would be a good idea. Let's try this. But then as soon as Aang is like, you know, I don't, I'm not comfortable with this. I don't want to do it anymore. Sokka's like, cool. Okay. That's your choice. Let's go with that. Um, and I love so. his moment at the end where he knocks out General Fong. Yeah. And he's like, anybody have a problem? Uh, we're going to go. <laughs> good stuff. Yeah. I have a soft spot for Sokka. I think he is the character that takes the longest to develop because in the beginning, it's just like, oh boy, there goes Sokka again. Um, <laughs> but I think he really, I love when he comes into it, like in moments in this episode where he like knocks the guy out, just comes into his own a little bit because I just, I want more for him. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I mean, Sokka's function has been like, 
pretty much like comedy guy for a long time. I would say though f the finale of book one in a lot of ways was like a big turning point for a lot of these characters. Like I feel like a lot of things I loved in this episode are direct results of things that happened in the finale. Like for like Zuko and Iroh's relationship was a big thing in the finale and that's brought over. Zuko's relationship to Azula was introduced in that finale and now it's coming to the forefront again. Um, and yeah, I feel I like on Sokka that. specifically, this episode is, I feel like it's, they've make his combat prowess, like they've upped it a lot in this episode. Cause I don't really remember him being so like, I don't know, like strong when they when they they start fighting people before, but in this mm. episode, like he, they really showed off his like boomerang ability to like an unbelievable amount. But like if like it, it's canonical within the show what he's able <laughs> to do with the boomerang, it's uh, so just like it it's good to see that like because I feel like in the in the first season we would get a lot of Av Ang and Katara like beating people up and Sokka like shouting at them, uh, and so it's good to see him be able to hold his own in this sort of way. And you know, something we haven't quite touched on that honestly was, I think, maybe the most important part of the episode, if not, it is one of the top moments. We got to talk about the buns. Mm, the cutting of okay, the buns? So they chop off the buns. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's mm. what makes you Fire Nation. A bun. For sure. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's interesting. Um, it's always fun or cool when the show brings in like external symbolism from like the real world instead of like using internal symbols like Katara's necklace is a good example of like an internal symbol within the show um mm -hmm. but they bring in like these things from uh like obviously like uh eastern culture where there's this idea of like cutting off your hair is like a symbol of denouncing whatever group you're from um but it's like even as a person watching who's either not familiar with that or is like a kid or whatever who just doesn't really know that sort of thing it's still immediately you understand why they're you doing it. it yeah you understand like yeah they're cutting their hair they're changing their appearance um mm -hmm. in a lot of i love yeah. when they float down the river to, like side by side just like perfectly <laughs> this right. episode has a i mean this season has a lot of great uh clumps of hair floating down rivers <laughs> as, as far as i can remember oh yeah uh, i'm excited yeah. They're clumps. Uh, call yeah. call I mean, forward it's, it's, to a future recap. It'll make sense later. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Zuko goes from hot to hotter, and honestly, everyone benefits. For Zuko sure. goes from hot to like weirdly lo weird looking with super too short of hair, and then he'll um, eventually get hotter. I feel. I feel. <laughs> I'm with you, Sarah. Short hair forever. I love short hair, but there's it. It can, it's okay to have a weird growth length of hair you know I, what we all go through transition periods <laughs> as someone who buzzed their head in quarantine i can relate mm -hmm. you know what you've looked hot all the way through baby that's right oh. i know that's right <laughs> um, <laughs> speaking of looking great though can we talk about the royal like guard uniforms that azula has like the all red like stormtrooper look so cool the fire nation just gets fashion. They are fashion. <laughs> they, I mean, yeah. Say what you want about their colonialism and their imperialism yeah. and all of the fascism stuff, but they know how to dress. But they're gonna look great <laughs> for sure. <laughs> we and I mean, it doesn't it doesn't stop when you get a little older. Mm -hmm. I mean, those twins were looking oh. hot. Hey, baby. <laughs> yeah, that's another like. Um, uh, just speaking of how incredible Azula's original introduction is, like that's just another great 
like pin in like who Azula is like perfection to the point of not even a hair out of place. It's so good. I love her. <laughs> um, I wait. What did I just? Okay. I th is this the first time in the show they've called it the Avatar State? Yes. I okay. Mm -hmm. I, I I mean, because I have been calling it the Avatar State through all of season one. I like <laughs> I realized partway through <laughs> that like I had I was saying it without the show introducing the concept of it being called the Avatar State. But in this episode, they just started calling it the Avatar State, yeah. like without. And so I was. So I feel like I'm okay. Like there was no moment where they yeah. were like, "Oh, this is the Avatar State." I mean, it's not a spoiler. It's no, like, what else were you going to call it? Gloat? Like, glow up time? Like, I guess I'd have to go peer say. through the 2006 Nickelodeon forums to find out what they were referring to it as. Right. <laughs> Always. Sadly, not all of that has been archived. I've tried to look for it. Um, I'm always... <laughs> always always wanting to vicariously go back and look at people literally use the word squee and talk about zuko i'm like wow. oh, memories <laughs> <laughs> my internet was too slow during that period of my life <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah i would just use the public library at that point because we didn't have internet at my home for a long time um fair yeah we love a local library we do this... oh hello we stand yeah we love libraries yeah so my first job was at a library. Fun fact. Oh, I've never worked that. at a library, but I've done a lot of work at a library. Uh, and, Same you know, thing. <laughs> we love public goods on this podcast, as far as, far as I'm concerned. Um, I, mm -hmm. what was I gonna say? Um, I well, the, I mean, in the I feel like the last major piece of this episode that we haven't talked about yet. Is like and like a well we've referenced it but like the the vision of Roku where Roku picks up Aang and takes him on a little dragon mm. ride through the past uh, and we see the symbolism uh, or not symbolism but we see all the avatars in a line and we find out if Aang dies in the avatar state the avatar state is like the avatar cycle is over and reincarnation will never happen again and the avatar will be gone. Uh, sort of just an info dump to like of like world building <laughs> lore, which is but it'll be like obviously they're setting stuff up and it's important for later. But like Roku's line, it's time you learn, well, is in like every previously on <laughs> Avatar for like the rest of the show. <laughs> oh, for sure. And it's like that's been burned into my memory too. I speak yeah, things that were burned into my memory are the fact that uh the part where Sokka has Momo's head on mm -hmm. essentially was a huge part of like the advertising for this episode from what I remember. It was like, <laughs> what? Sokka's head gets replaced by Momo's? What the fuck is going on? Um yes. I love I love all that all of the things they tried to get Aang into the Avatar State. He tries espresso, yes. and I love when he's I love when the... he mixes the elements into the bowl, <laughs> and he's like, "This is just mud." It's great. Yeah, that, that's a good one. Oh, that's the chi enhancing tea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, love it. Uh, yeah, I love when a, don't give like a small a child caffeine. Mm, right. Yeah, I love when a show that's like not set in the like real world or like can't say the word coffee. Because it's like when it makes sense in their reality, it's like I love how they find ways to talk around that or like reference it in some way. That's cute. Yeah. I feel like also, you know, going into it, especially in the first season, you hear about like how powerful the Avatar is and what they're supposed to do, but you kind of forget the mortality of it. 
at least mm. I did watching it. And when they say like, okay, if you die in the avatar state, kaputs, you're done. We're not moving forward anymore. That kind of like was a, a moment of like, oh, I guess like, like, you know that the avatar continues on in the reincarnation, but you always think like everyone just dies of old age. I mean, I did when I first watched it just because there was no indication of like, this could be the end because you just, he's the hero and an avatar has to live forever. But now they're mm -hmm. like, hold up, these are our stops. Yeah, it's interesting to think about. Um, it reminds me of like uh, a show I really love, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and a show I know Sam really loves. Um, in that show, it's like slayers who are essentially very similar to the Avatar, where they re quote unquote reincarnate, but it's not like someone's born; it just someone who is already alive becomes the slayer suddenly. Um, but it's like a similar idea, like of um, in that world, the slayer dies young a lot and it's like a pretty big plot point is the fact that everyone who's the slayer knows they're on borrowed time so it's interesting that that sort of concept has made its way to avatar yeah and it i mean it, ad it definitely adds stakes uh because uh, like sarah was saying like if we i mean in season one it's like if ang were to die like he would just be reincarnated and something new would happen um which i mean obviously the fire nation was trying to combat that by killing every air nomad but you would think that they would be trying they would just they would go try to kill all the waterbenders first right before they went through and tried to kill all the air nomads i'm not gonna tell to me the logic would have been roku is still alive we kill all the airbenders and then mm, we kill roku i forgot well because then no, it'd be like fire into air but there's no air now so what like but they, but Aang was 12 when the genocide happened. So like Roku would have been dead for 12 years. True. So I, so I'm just saying they didn't, they didn't think right. They weren't doing it right. Those dummies. Um, but I, yeah. I mean, I do like, I mean, if, yeah, if you die in the avatar state, you die in real life. Um, <laughs> and I, it, it's good to be more, more concerned about the forces of good in the world, because at this point it seemed like things were going pretty well. They like, fended off the fire nation from the northern water tribe and it's good to get this like pre added pressure even though we were already on a very short timeline that ang needs to do all this stuff in yeah it's a good reaff like affirmation that it's like there's no there's not gonna be like a shortcut like that's just the way it's gonna have to be um in order for ang to do what he has to do yeah no shortcuts but I think that there's a lot to say about this episode in reference to future episodes, but I think that I've pretty sure. much said my way, said my say about yeah. this episode <laughs> on itself. I did right. appreciate uh, when they landed at General Fong's encampment. It sort of looked like a Panopticon, uh, General Fong's like little zone there. But like I liked mm -hmm. when they landed, and General Fong was like oh my gosh, it's the Avatar and Team Avatar. And he started listing Aang's mm. friends, and he said, Appa, Momo, and then said Sokka and Katara. Yes, I, <laughs> I appreciate that. that he said Appa first. Me too. Order of importance. Mm -hmm. Appa's most yeah, important. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I love that too. Uh, yeah. Appa brought love, them there. I love the concept of Team Avatar. I love that they call it Team Avatar. Uh, here for it. This episode was just stakes on stakes on stakes. Like, let's just get ready for everything that's about to happen. Yeah, regular Outback Steakhouse up in here. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm trying to think uh, a few other, I guess, notes I had. Um, 
another sad uh, line to me was uh, Zuko saying, you lied to me, and Azula's response being like, I've never done that before. Like, mm-hmm. ouch. <laughs> Sucks. Um, and what else? I also loved that there was also a moment of, uh, they did, speaking of like the parallels we were talking about between Zuko and Aang before, there's also a really cool like little um, two scenes that are paired together where it's Katara and Iroh are kind of being paralleled in that moment. Um, it's like when Aang and Katara are having this moment where Katara's like, I don't think you should be doing this. Um, she's trying to talk Aang out of whatever they're doing. And then we transition to Iroh essentially doing the same thing with Zuko. Like, I don't think this is what it is. Like, you shouldn't be believing Azula. I think this is a bad idea. Um, I just love that the uh, whenever they like parallel two characters, you would never think of as parallels in the narrative normally. Um, and they've done that before with Iroh and Zuko. I don't, I mean, Iroh and uh, Katara, like, I feel like they've had them be, I feel like in the waterbending scroll episode, there was a parallel that we talked about, but I can't mm, remember what it was. Um, but that, that I, I mean, the Iroh-Zuko scene is, is like so heartbreaking and all the Iroh-Zuko stuff is like, great in this episode where Zuko's like, my father cares about me and Iroh's like, I care about you, clearly I've been with you for yeah. years. And Zuko's like, wants, just like, wants to believe and like, tries to cast him aside. But at the end, Iroh like, for, is like they don't they don't even really directly reference it but Iroh's like, forgiven him and like, understands that Zuko is like, an abused child and like doesn't know what's going on. And so right. like, they, I just like, love that Iroh is like so ready to just like keep fighting for Zuko even after he says all those harmful things. Right. But how do you guys feel about like Iroh definitely knew this wasn't going to work out. He knew that this was wrong. He knew it was going to backfire. But he went with it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that to me I read that as Iroh is more willing to stick with Zuko, even if Zuko's going to get hurt, than letting Zuko go. And, like, he would feel horrible if he were to just separate from Zuko in that moment, knowing Zuko was going to get hurt regardless. He's like, well, I just want to be there with Zuko anyway. Um, yeah. And to me, like, Iroh, like, he lashes out. He, like, raises his voice at Zuko in that moment, which is, I think, one of the first times that's happened between them. Um, and it's, you understand why, because in the finale... Like, Iroh fully says to Zuko, I think of you as my son. And so you get why Iroh would be so unwilling to let Zuko go in that moment. Um, it's, like, weird to think about Iroh as a selfish character, but it is kind of, in a way, a selfish act. Um, which, to me, just makes me like Iroh even more, because it makes him a more fully fleshed-out character, rather than always 100% wise and correct guy. Yeah, and I love how immediately ready he was to turn it on. Like, as soon as that guard said prisoners instead of, like, Zuko and Iroh, which is, like, come <laughs> on, guy. Uh, but, like, Zuko, I, I, Zuko, like, throws him off the ramp, and then Iroh immediately takes out, like, four guards in the span of, like, three seconds. Uh, we love we love Uncle Iroh on this pod. Me too. And then redirects yeah. lightning. Yeah, mm-hmm. king shit. Yeah, that's really good. Um, I guess, yeah, my final note, though, I just want to point out, I guess, is the fact that, um, like we said in Azula's intro, her, like, solution to the guard being, like, not 100% under her thumb is to threaten violence, um, and to me that just speaks to the way this family operates, clearly. Like I said, the scarring, like, Zuko's relationship with his dad is defined by a physical scar on his face, 
So it's just like, I think it's interesting that these characters um, resort to violence uh, instead of actually communicating. That's something I've been thinking about re a lot a lot lately, which is the idea of violence as like a communication breakdown, or it's like a way of communicating for someone who refuses or can't use their words. Um, so I just think it's interesting that we got that moment from Azula that re reaffirms her and her father have a lot in common. So true. And we, I mean, we only got that after her manipulation failed. <laughs> like yeah. it's all, it's all trying yeah. to harm him. Uh, but she she did try to get through without uh fighting for i mean in a terrible way but mm -hmm, for sure but yeah that's all, all i had to say after i went on like five different tangents <laughs> i loved all the i loved it all i was with you till the end um yeah so sarah why don't you tell our our beloved listeners where they can uh follow you before we start talking about spoiler stuff um, everywhere is at Sarah Gar, G-A-H-R, Sarah with an H. Um, and I, hopefully next week, I don't know when this goes up, but um, I have an Etsy shop now. Etsy.com oh. shop slash that stitch bitch, but B-T-C-H. That's um, awesome. I'm going to be selling uh, masks and headbands and scrunchies and very cute, fun things. That's awesome. We're going to get that. Nice. I bought a Momo hat from Etsy recently. The little embroidered Momo on the front. I love that. Yeah, uh, well, you can find me at Rain Derricks on Twitter. I do not do any stitching, but I do a lot of bitching. Um, hey, love <laughs> to see it. Um, and you can find us at Bitterger's Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can follow me at Sam Stanish on Instagram, Twitter, uh, and you can follow my other podcast, Word on the Straits, STR8S on Instagram Ooh. and Twitter. Uh, our previous guest, Joe McMahon, is my co-host there. And we just, the most recent episode was about comment sections with one of our dear friends, Mike Regan. Uh, he talked to us all about the internet. And I mean, we, we talk a lot about the internet as the main source of culture <laughs> in like a quarantine zone. Like that's really the way people are connecting these days and really interacting. So there's a lot to say. Um, that's it. Nice. Can't to... straights. Also great. <laughs> Very true. I agree. <laughs> Let's talk spoilers. Hey! Um, <laughs> pretty much every scene of this episode was setting something up for a future episode, which I love. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 100%. Yeah. Usually to me, it's like setup can be boring when it's like obvious setup. But to me, it's like as you're watching it, it's just um, it's set up in a I don't know. It's set up in the sense that it's like very organic. It's like, this is just the story. And these are our beginning steps to that story. Um, and right now we don't know what those like echoes are going to be, but they're entertaining in the moment. Yeah. Cause like we get the spirit water, we get the, like mm -hmm. we, they talk about boot, like going to find Boomy that we get the redirecting <gasps> the lightning. We get, <laughs> we, like do we get the Roku stuff? Like it, it all is, it all is just a, a one brush stroke in the masterpiece of book two. <laughs> Especially now watching Korra, I am deep in the Boomy legacy, and just everything, every version of a Boomy is just wonderful. It makes me smile. Okay. Um, and also, I know I'm in good company here with 
uh, my other Zutara stands. Mm-hmm. Katara deserves more. She deserves someone who's emotionally intelligent. Although oh. that Aang definitely is, but like, um, as someone who, yeah, but it's like boring. <laughs> I need someone who has a little conflict. Otherwise, what's, you know, you need a little darkness. How else mm-hmm. are you going to fall in love if you can't fix someone? Um, sure. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> don't do that. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, worked out great for me so far. <laughs> um, but oh god, I I was a little bummed about Katara this episode because and this is yeah. something that I think happens all throughout because she is such a good <laughs> character, mm-hmm. and then periodically she has these throwaway episodes kind of like this one where she's just like but we gotta follow the rules mm-hmm. and i'm like you can do so much more you can yeah. be you are so much more um and like she could be that with uh brain fart zuko, zuko? <laughs> especially i mean because like especially Sorry. just like when we get to see her like in a in an action scene in this episode, like she fires water out at the general, and then he like I don't even he like pulls earth up at it and yeah, like brought like, it. What, what, what it, even yeah. happened I'm like, there? I'm like, she's a water bending master. She's they're not just gonna let that happen. Like yeah. there's very there's so much more she could do. Yeah, that felt very off to me. It's like after all, <laughs> damsel in that, distress. Yeah, it sucks because the show has done such a good job before of avoiding that in a lot of ways when it comes to Katara. Um, so yeah, I hate it. Yeah, I really did not like that aspect of it. Even though it, like, it makes sense. It's more dramatic because it's like, yeah, obviously, I would higher. get very upset if Sokka were also suffocating. But it's like we get why Aang would be more upset yeah. if it's Katara. Yeah, like, but this is set up for the rest of the season where like they're drawing a connection between Katara and the Avatar state, mm-hmm. and like we know that. Mm. I mean, and and I always. And I'm always thinking of his vision when he's with the guru, where he talks about <laughs> how the the air nomad, how the love the air nomads had for him <laughs> on uh, Earth has been reborn in Katara, and there's such a direct connection between his trauma with the air nomads and like losing Katara again. So like it all works, and like that's why he gets he gets put into the Avatar state. And so like mm-hmm. I agree that like the damsel in distress stuff is not good, but like it's serving a greater purpose for like the yeah. end game of the season for me even though i don't like love every aspect of it yeah sure. no it, it makes sense here i am hoping more for katara and yet i'm just completely objectifying zuko's storyline here just being like <laughs> yes let's cut that hair yes let's wear pink <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's a- so you know flawed critiques as well <laughs> um yeah um, I- yeah right oh, what were you gonna say i wasn't saying anything i was just going yeah Oh, okay. <laughs> well, okay, then uh, we can talk about um, something that r- really stood out to me in this episode is that they r- set up this book to me as being a lot about Aang's rage or his anger with two A's. Yes. Um, because yeah. like in book one, I could, I was thinking about this. I was like, how many times does Aang yell at someone or get angry at someone? I could think of like, he and Katara have like a little two second spat in Warriors of Kyoshi and then it's done. Um, he yells at the Northern Air Temple at like the mechanist when he's like demolishing stuff. Um, but it's like other than that, a lot of Aang's emotion in Book One is like very at the very beginning. It's denial in a lot of ways, where he just doesn't want to be the Avatar. He doesn't want to recognize that the Air Nomads are all gone. Um, and then there's a lot of guilt in that book too, um, which we see like kind of summed up at the end in the finale when Aang talked about um, how he wasn't there for the Air Nomads last time, but he's here 
to help defend the North now, and he's going to do that. Um, and so I like that they're introducing this new sort of step for Aang, uh, which probably, I mean, it's definitely not a healthy step, but now he seems to be getting a lot angrier. Like, his reaction when he turns into the Avatar state isn't to just pull Katara up, it's to turn around and attack General Fong. Um, and we'll obviously see that come back in the desert in a big, big way. Um, and I'm sure there are other examples later through this book where Aang becomes a lot meaner, or not mean, but like enraged more, which is yeah, interesting. There are very few people in book one who like disappoint Aang or like he expects something from them and he they don't deliver. It's more like direct conflict as opposed to like subterfuge conflict where he was expecting something greater from someone and they didn't weren't able to give it to him. And I feel like we okay. we get that more in this book like you were saying. Mm -hmm. yeah i'm also just like counting down the episodes until toff shows up because like oh <laughs> baby what she brings to the table is uh, the whole fucking meal baby <laughs> for sure yeah i'm so excited to see toff's like yeah because in a lot of ways she is also kind of representing um something that ang lacks which is like that directness um more aggressive yeah. emotions like anger um so yeah it's nice to have that sort of i don't know theme yeah. I mean, of for this season Hank should be mad i want him to for get sure. like a little more angry because everyone's like pushing him around yeah it's like interesting to think i mean like obviously I, like as someone who's like grieved before it's like that's i think the emotion you are the least prepared for when you're grieving is being angry the second step yeah and it's like you denial don't... anger mm -hmm. yeah it's like everyone like you your immediate assumption of grief is sadness in a lot of ways but it's like Mm -hmm. There's a lot of anger there too, and it's like, like you said, we haven't really seen that from Aang. Um, so I like that we're getting this more rounded version of the character. Was it? Definitely. Then we have bargaining, and then we have acceptance. Yeah. So we can look well, forward to Aang bargaining anytime soon. Yeah, don't forget um, about depression. That's um, ever present. <laughs> yeah, that's just the, the underlying. Uh, I mean, to talk about like Toph, and I mentioned Boomy before. Like, I don't even know if this is fully intentional. But there, there's a scene, there's a, well, while they're fighting, General Fong and Aang, Aang says, or General Fong, Aang is like dodging out of the way of everything, and General mm -hmm. Fong says, you can't run forever, and Aang says, you can't fight forever, which is brought, I mean, I, this is like directly in line with like positive Jin, negative Jin of when they, mm -hmm. he's talking to Boomy in a couple episodes, where like, there's positive Jin when you're attacking, and there's negative Jin when you're retreating, and then Boomy's like, but there's also neutral Jin where you do nothing. And sometimes it's okay to do nothing. And I don't know if, the, like, I don't really know if it's, like, like, this is, I just feel like it's a reference to a future conversation, but I don't know if, like, it has a greater meaning in this specific instance. Right. I mean, I think that it was significant. I mean, it stood out to me, too, when he says that you can't fight forever. It definitely speaks to, like, Aang's philosophy in a lot of ways that we, like, and the Air Nomad philosophy of basically just dodge, redirect, don't ever, like, physically fight back um yeah and because like he doesn't even think in this con he, he doesn't think in this conflict about like standing his ground at all which is like what he has to learn at, for earthbending which is as opposed to like moving around stuff or like directly aggressing someone else he just has to like stand and take something um which is just another example of cool setup for the rest of the episodes mm -hmm. for sure um another flash that we get it's like an instant but there's a moment when iroh touches zuko's shoulder and we get a flash 
and we see a young Zuko and someone standing next to him. And like, just based on who, like the outfit, I assume it's his mom, Ursa. Mom, mom. Right. <laughs> uh, God, uh, I'm so ready to be devastated by so that. Right. Uh. Um, so yeah, I love, I love whenever they do that, they do these specific flashbacks to Zuko and his time on presumably Ember Island. Um, Cause it resembles those sort of flashbacks oh, yeah. we get. Um, in book three. Um, so I like that there's this parallel moment of Iroh and Zuko's mom, because in a lot of ways we get like contrasting between Iroh and uh, Ozai. So I like that they're drawing this specific parallel of when Zuko's touched like, by Iroh, he is reminded of his mother, um, which is cute. Ooh, yeah. Ooh that's good. They, I, I like love that. that the show is like, I mean, they we, they did it twice. They've done it twice in this episode where they're like parallel and Iroh with a female character. They do like they did it with Katara too, like we talked about. Um, and I just think that's cool. It is, especially yeah. for a character who like you could easily make into like this macho, like male, like the yeah. <laughs> this is peak male performance. You may not like it, <laughs> but that's what it is. Um, yeah. 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 But, Especially, yeah. well, I mean, because we haven't really thought of, I mean, we haven't seen them draw comparisons between the, like, the closest, I mean, we see Azula has these older teachers, but, like, we don't have any idea of their relationship or anything like that. So, like, we haven't, but, like, that's just another female character who Iroh could be compared to, which is cool. Mm-hmm. But they're not firebenders, as we will learn. We will the, learn that. In the, the actual finale. <laughs> Which is such a um, funny moment. <laughs> I have a silly question, and I don't know if you guys have answered this before. I can't remember. But have you ever decided which tribe are you in? Yeah, uh, Where do I you am fit into the Avatar universe. For sure, Earth Kingdom here. Happily Water Tribe. Uh, yeah. What about you? Oh, uh, you know, I said I've said Water Tribe in the past. It just, it just feels right. <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel that. It's like yeah, hard to go wrong with water. They. Yeah, I'm not chill enough to be an air tribe. Uh, uh, Fire, it just seems a little aggro. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little, a little, um, ooh, ooh, uh, putting a little too masculine energy that is Mm. unchecked. And uh, I don't know, I could also see Earth because I am someone who is pretty like direct and aggressive, Mm. but uh, I don't know, I, I still stick with water. I'm that. water for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> confirmed. Everyone here can confirm. confirm. We'll hang that. out together. <laughs> the last, like, sort of setup that I'm thinking of is we see Iroh redirecting as well as lightning right at the end of the episode, uh, which we've talked about a lot in the past, how that's, like, symbol- lightning bending and, like, in fire bending in general are sort of, like, allegories for abuse and like whether it's emotional or physical and so this is another thing that's just set up for Zuko to learn about later on yeah it's interesting to think about like fire is like of these elements to me like fire like ends Mm -hmm. up representing so much more in the story than a lot of the other elements I mean bring to bring it to survivor fire represents your life (laughs) Uh, yeah, I just love how they expand the notions of each of the elements with like uh, lightning bending, but then like the blood bending and metal bending. Real spoiler alert section here, but everybody knew mm-hmm. that. Um, just kind of expanding the ideas of what 
you know, bending can be. Right. So much more than they realize. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, I'm just so excited to get into book two. Like you said, this is a great setup for all the stuff we've been talking about. Um, like, and I do really love that this episode, um, to me, maybe more than a lot of the other, like in book one, we would get these like Ang Zuko stories. But to me, mm -hmm. this really felt like the first episode where it's like, these are your two protagonists of this story. Um, yeah. And I'm excited that that's like becomes pretty much the standard for the rest of the season eight and in the show is this idea of these two parallel paths um just on a track together where they yeah, actually season, season one's just like a lot of vamping it's like okay mm -hmm. they go to a town we're developing our characters you're getting to know everyone okay something happens we leave we go to another town something happens we leave we go to another town something happens we leave but and then season two kind of like takes all that and then it becomes more, I think, more of a series in which it's pertinent, like really important to watch episode by episode by episode by episode. Because then it mm -hmm. also, like, you need that because it's referencing back to the first book. But I feel like season, I mean, books two and three are just like one very like tight storyline. Whereas I feel like season one, whatever book one, um, mm -hmm. was, I remember watching when I started the rewatch, I did start to kind of go in and out in season one because it was just a lot of like show up. Ooh, let's fix this town and make it fix this town, but ultimately kind of make it worse by the time we leave. <laughs> There's a lot more property <laughs> damage than there was before. Maybe this, oh my God. Like, the existential threat is gone, but now we got to like actually rebuild shit here. I know. Do they have like an avatar budget of like anytime they leave, they're like, okay, we'll just cut you this for like a check. Uh, sorry for property damage. Right. They uh, need that. We're just, but like we had to do it. Right. It's yeah, it's was, the ethics of <laughs> that aspect of the avatar. I was just thinking um, about that because I was watching Cora yesterday. Um, the episode where they're at a hotel trying to um I'm in book two, um and uh Cora is in the this whatever. They destroy the hotel and I'm like, who Who's got paid for that? Right. I feel like by the time of Korra, the White Lotus probably has a fund where they're like, we can just <laughs> yeah. pay off your damages and like get people Send off their back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's like the, the, the shop person was like, I don't want any of these teenagers ruining my hotel again. And then <laughs> what do they do but ruin it? Mm hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think book three kind of sort of addresses that at the beginning with the whole idea of like the spirits kind of taking over an entire section of Republic City. Um, mm. Right. Which, wait, have you seen books three and four before? Are you rewatching or is this your first watch through? This is Fresh Eyes book. Oh, well, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm on book three. No, 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 no. I'm on book three. I've just, I'm kidding. It was book three that I was on. Because I, I remember season, book two is the one from Cora that we just try to forget about. Right. Okay, so good. Yeah. I didn't spoil anything. I'm most, you. no, you didn't spoil anything in season okay, three. Good. Because I'm no, yeah, the way through that. Right. The beginning, I think they kind of sort of address that. And that's like, yep, here's an entire section of the city that we just can't live in now because of what yeah. you did specifically, uh, which is fun. Uh, to speak more to the point of Sarah, from what Sarah was saying earlier about like one off book one episodes, like I feel like there were times in book one where we were watching those town of the week episodes where it's like even as an omniscient viewer, like we are seeing having seen the whole show, I was still just sort of like, this doesn't like even connect to anything like at all later, but now that I'm like, and, but I'm thinking ahead to 
like the next couple episodes like the ta- like cave of two lovers is like connected to like the origins of earthbending and directly feeds into the overall plot of the season and i just feel like there aren't examples of what we talked about for season one episodes in season two which is awesome even if it's like even if it's not a directly plot oriented episode like i still feel like it moves something along or introduces a new concept uh for us as viewers to just like feed on Mm-hmm, for Can't wait sure. till you guys get to the cave of two lovers as a rom com connoisseur. That episode <laughs> is a top 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 episode for me. One of them. Uh, yeah, I I mean, even though we are firmly Team Zutara here, it's like, duh. Why do they got to keep they got to give the great episodes to Katang? Really, it's not fair. I mean, it's whatever. Southern Raiders though, also excellent. Just saying. <laughs> I mean, that episode is one of the best but it's you know well it's fine um we'll talk about those episodes <laughs> when we talk about though, them when you, you get want there. to rank the episodes yeah i was gonna say where's yeah. this go yeah where are you putting it sam because i'm on you too well, why don't you do it first because i need to look at my thing yes okay so this might be i don't know as i was trying to figure out i was like looking at the list of book one episodes because the way we're doing it is we're just gonna slot them in there we're not gonna mm-hmm. like do separate ones um yep. So to me, I feel like I'm going to put this at number six, um, right under the Siege of the North Part 2 and right above Southern Air Temple to me. Because I was thinking about this episode versus mm. Southern Air Temple. And I was like, the thing we loved about Southern Air Temple was it was a good Aang story and a good Zuko story. But maybe the Zuko story was like a little, just a little better. Um, and to me, in this episode, like we said, it sets up so much for the rest of the show. But also... It does a great job of reestablishing things for us, like resetting the board for everyone. And also just being an interesting story in itself. Like this is a, an interesting concept for the show, like to address like, yep, this is the super powerful thing that our hero can do. How is the rest of the world going to react to that knowledge? And how are they going to try to abuse it for their own gains? Um, so yeah, I, I ended up really loving this episode. And that's why I think it's like, it's pretty high up there for me, which is weird because, like, traditionally, when I think about book two episodes, this never really stands out to me. I'm like, whatever, it's just the premiere, but I really, really loved it on this watch through. That makes a lot of sense to me. I was very surprised when you said six. That's like, I was, I mean, that is way higher than I was expecting. But then when I was thinking, I mean, when you started talking about it, I was, I definitely have it now higher thinking about it as a whole piece like i i guess when i was originally trying to rank the episode i was only really thinking about the ang stuff and i kind of forgot about the zuko storyline but that obviously (laughs) elevates it when i think about it um i think that this is like yeah it's gonna be like eight or nine for me uh i i do think it's like better than the first season premiere uh, like even though like we when we we talked about the premiere episodes of the show and like re- I really like those episodes but I think that this one does a really good job like you said of reestablishing everything and I was also like interested in what was actually happening and not just the setup which I feel is what was going on in the premiere where I was just like mm-hmm. let's get to the stuff I like want to see and not just like be like make myself ready for it i think especially the zuko iroh stuff in this episode is particularly strong and the introduction of azula is done flawlessly yeah for sure like to me i'm thinking like what are the cool things that the like they introduce in the first in the pilot it's like all world building stuff really 
And then this one, it's like we're introducing new characters or we're introducing new conflicts for our characters to have to deal with or we're introducing new facets to characters we already know. And so that to me is where it like what elevates it in a lot of ways. And what elevates book two to me over book one in that sense, like book one rides on the world building mm -hmm. pretty heavily. Um, oh yeah. yeah. I will what say I made uh, a short, I made a list for um, my favorite episodes of oh. season two that you guys have covered so far. Um, this and this, one? Is, this is the top slot. I gotta Whoa. say. I'm Dark just, Horse. I, I said it. I said it. It's the number wow. one episode that you guys have covered in book two. Wow, that's a pretty hot praise. Take. I mean, I it's know. it's just like what all we said. Everything we've just talked about. That's my that's my reasoning. Undeniable yeah. number one. I agree. Handily, <laughs> handily. Yeah. Well, this has been amazing. <laughs> so excited for season two. Um, I'm ready mm -hmm. to get into the nitty gritty of all of the ship wars stuff next week. Uh, and I just like, I, I, I mean, we've said it since the beginning, like book two is our favorite book and I'm excited to get through the rest of it. I mean, book one was a smashing success and I can only see better things for us in the future. For sure. Well, thank I mean, you. there's thank always you both for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Sarah. Sorry. Like, I, were... I hope everyone enjoys me talking over the both of you, the entire podcast. We deserve it. We need to be put in our place. I agree. Okay. But thank you so much. And now I'm like ready to go back and rewatch it again because I, I just did like the rewatch of like the first fresh eyes. And now I'm like, okay, now I need to watch this and text you both while I watch it. Yes, please. The hardest um, part of this podcast is watching only one episode a week. Like I, yeah. it, ever, since the start mm -hmm. of it, I, I mean, I think Derek, didn't you like go through and watch the whole show right away? Or maybe you had just rewatched all of it. But I, I had, yeah, I had I just rewatched it. I have not seen these episodes in years at this point. So now I'm just like, <gasps> every time we record a podcast, I'm like, yes, now I can watch the next one. Yeah. I'm really excited about it. <laughs> right. Uh, that's good. That, that's you only been increased now that we've gotten like to the end of season one into season yeah. two. Like, yeah. about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's always my fear is during an Avatar rewatch. I'm like, whenever I get to book two, this, I'm scared. I'm like, oh no, please don't be worse than I remember. Please just be as perfect as I remember it is. And it always is. And so I, I'm always eternally so excited. I'm like, yes, it's just as good as yeah. I remember. I specifically made sure not to watch the next episode so I wouldn't go into any spoilers and just kept a fresh just this episode. But when we're done here, is is where the ball's gonna start rolling yet Roll. again? <laughs> Play next for it. Netflix. <laughs> yeah. Sarah, where can people follow you? I know we did it in the middle of the show. We do it again at the end of the show. Um, I am at Sarah Gar on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. You know those teens. I got uh, <laughs> two videos, maybe. Um, but may mostly, uh, I got an Etsy shop. Etsy.com slash shop slash that stitch bitch spelled B T C H. Um, I got some really fun stuff and uh, really cute patterns. I've been working very hard on it for the past month, and uh, it's going to be up hopefully soon. Probably uh, it'll probably be up around the time you put this up. I don't know when you guys do. Uh, we drop episodes Monday. on Mondays. Um, Mondays. That's so exciting. I All right, I got a deadline. Because <laughs> everyone is going to be like, what? Oh, my Wait. God, that guest. <laughs> Where is <laughs> that bitch? Bitch. Where is she? <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. Uh, oh, yeah, well, you can find me at Rain Dierks on Twitter. Um, 
You can find us at Bridgerters Pod on the Twitter and the Gram. At Simfinish. <laughs> oh yeah, not TikTok yet, but we we tried to get the hashtag trending. We haven't. Got it. I haven't seen it on the trends yet. But right. I'm at Simfinish on Instagram and Twitter. At Word Illustrates us to eight S on Instagram and Twitter. Um, you can always leave us a five star review, and we'll read it on the show on Apple Podcasts. Or uh, you can keep an eye out on our Twitter for the link to our mailbox submissions. We tragically had no one writing in this week about uh, their thoughts. But uh, as always, please, if you if you want to get something in for next week, uh, we'll still read it and we can discuss with our guest then. <laughs> well, thank you again, Sarah. And uh, thank you, Bitter Judies, for listening. See y'all whenever next week. <laughs> Bye. Bye.